everybody. What I've named this lesson tonight is Suit Up. And I'm going to be going over Ephesians 6, 10 through 8. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read through all verses, all the verses, all the way through, and then go back and break them down line by line. And tonight I'm reading from the King James Version. So I'm going to start with uh, verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take on to you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So when I go through this, I always compare a few different versions. I'll do the King James Version, the New King James, I'll look at the Amplified, and um, all of all of them have the same underlying intent of the message. But what I get drawn to the most is my interlinear Bible, which gives you the original Greek and the Strong's number that are associated with the words. So I can look it up in my concordance. Verse 10 in the interlinear Bible. So I'm going to go back and read verse 10 from King James, and then I want to read it to you from the interlinear so you can just see the slight differences that they have there. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now the interlinear Bible says, For the rest, brothers of me, be empowered in the Lord and in the might and strength of him. So empowered is used here instead of the word strong. And we are told to be empowered, made strong, and strengthened in the Lord. In the, in Strong's, means to give yourself holy. Um, it denotes a fixed position. So we are to be fully fixed in the Lord, in the might of his manifested power of God. Uh, the Greek word for power is derived from a root, which means to perfect or to complete. And we are to know, we are to be fixed in his complete manifested power. I think that's, that takes it to a whole nother level when you say be strong in the Lord. To say that we need to be completely fixed in the position of his perfect, complete, manifested power. And it's the strength that God has bestowed upon the believers when we're born again. So this is available. This power is available to all of us to draw from. So in his strength, we are able to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, I'm going to go to two little words. It says, put on. The word here is in duo. It says it's in a sense of sinking into a garment. 
So when I read this, I thought about being like enveloped in something. You're going to become one with it. I think of, of a bit envision like sinking into a warm bubble bath or sinking into a big comfy bed underneath your comforter. Webster's definitions of sink is to become partially buried. So it's more than just putting on your pants one leg at a time. You know, you're just not throwing this on your body. You are literally supposed to sink into this armor. Uh, when we sink into it, you know, we have that pop, we have that power to withstand what? The wiles of the devil. The word wiles here is the word methodia. It's his method of attack. So it's trickery, craft, deceit, cunning. Rick Renner, I listened to Rick Renner, and he describes it as one who operates on a single lane of travel. He has one road, he has one direction, he is very focused. And so where do you think, if the devil's got one lane, one road, one direction, where is he headed? He's coming to attack our minds. We've moved to verse 12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When I did this, I spent two hours on my porch on the word against. It's translated from the Greek word pros, which is a preposition of direction forward, i.e. toward. And it's a strengthened form of the word pra, which means in front of, prior or before. Now, when I think of the word against, I don't necessarily think of moving towards something or moving forward. Of course, that sent me to Webster's Dictionary, which gave me the definition of in the opposite direction. So again, against, in the opposite direction, that to me, again, I'm not thinking to go forward. But it says, so as to come in forcible contact with in hostile opposition. So when we think of it from that perspective, when we press against something, we are applying an opposing force. You know, if you're leaning something against something, you're applying an opposing force against it. And it's a word that we use all the time, but I've never really thought about it implying a close proximity. For you to be applying pressure to something, you have to be right up next to it. We are wrestling against these entities. And I have a Facebook friend, his name is Barty Breeden, to give him proper credit. I asked him if I could borrow this from him. And he brought up a great point that when we wrestle with something, wrestling is the only form of combat where you never take your hands off the earth. And so to wrestle with something, you are actively engaging with it. It is right in front of you. So we are to press in, move towards, oppose this fight, but we don't do it on our own. We do it with the might, the power, and the strength of the Lord. As Hebrews 10, 39 says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Um, and we aren't battling people. You know, it's, it's what, we're not battling individuals. It's we're battling what's behind them, what's motivating them, what's influencing them. So let's dive into against. Let's dive into exactly what we are up against. Now the first, first thing mentioned in that list is principalities. Principalities is the Greek word arhe, 
and it means chief in order, time, place, or rank. And then it has a parenthesis, beginning. Now Paul transferred this term to the angels and the demons, holding dominions entrusted to them in the order of things. So this gives me the impression that these entities have been around for a very long time, since the beginning. And God has given them limited authority. As we know, nothing is done outside of God's will. The next listed is powers. The word there is ex exousia, and it's a delegated influence, authority, jurisdiction. Now, per the Thayer's Greek lexicon, it says the leading and more powerful of beings superior to man, spiritual potentates. Okay, well, you know, I've had to take potentates into the Webster's. So, potentates is described as one who has power or position to rule over others, one who dominates or leads a group or endeavor. This is a group of beings that, as I read this, is set out to influence us. Whisper those lies to us. Your spouse is cheating on you. You're never going to lose weight. You're never going to find another job. You all know whatever those lies are that you have been told, that you've grown up with, those are the lies that the devil is going to come at you with. And like Rick Renner said, it's a one-line direction. He is just going to keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. So I mean, you get the idea of what, what they're going to attack you with. Uh, the third, rulers of the darkness of this world. So the Greek word for rulers is used only once in its plural form. So the Greek word that's used here is only used once, and it's used in this verse. And it denotes rulers of this world. And in the context of Ephesians 6, 12, shows that these are not earthly potentates, but spiritual powers. Lord of this world, prince of this age. So the devil and his demons. Who again, under the permissive will of God and in consequence of human sin, exercise satanic and therefore antagonistic authority over the world in its present condition of spiritual darkness and alienation from God. And you can see that. Look at what's happening all around the world. In America, just look at what is being allowed in our schools. Um, what we are being told is now acceptable. And if we speak against it, oh, then we're the bad people. I mean, evil has become good and good has become evil. It is a moral and spiritual darkness. And it's a blindness to the truth. Um, and sadly, so many are still viewing the world from a human perspective and not a spiritual one. And so I, I want to implore you today that, you know, if you are not seeing with spiritual eyes, um, ask the Lord for clarity to remove the veil from your eyes. Um, I got up this morning and a friend of mine had posted um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, a song called September. And in the song, it even said September 21, which is today. And I actually looked up the, the lyrics of that. And it was an official lyrical video. And the amount of demonic things that were in this video that were flying around, it had the Eye of Ra, it had all of these pagan deities. And I'm like, what is happening? This is what's happening. Hollywood is influencing us. And we don't even realize what we're seeing, what we're letting into our brains, what we're letting into our hearts. And I, I was bored because I remember that song growing up. I remember 
fancy to it? Do you remember? You know, but I look at this, it changed my whole perspective about this song and, and the band, to be quite honest. It's a little scary. And then finally, we have the spiritual wickedness in high places. The word spiritual here, it always denotes an idea of invisibility and or power. Um, an interesting point, this word that is used, I do have the Greek, but I didn't look up the definite how to say it, so I'm not going to say it out loud. But this is not used, the word used here for spiritual is not used in the Old Testament or the Gospels. It is an after Pentecost word. Um, they are angelic spiritual hosts, lower than God, but higher in scale than man being in his natural, natural state. And then wickedness is just depravity. So, a depraved spiritual host. That's what these, this, the spiritual wickedness is. Depraved spiritual host. Um, and then we have high places. The word used in the interlinear Bible is Eberonius, and it means the heavenlies. Well, when I go into Thayer's, it goes on to explain that in this verse, it refers to heavenly regions, the lower heavens or the heavens of the clouds. So Satan is referred to in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 as uh, the prince of the power of the air. So I think it's a spiritual battle in the heavens for us, for our attention, brought down right in front of us. This whole world is currently Satan's domain. We gave it up in the garden. And given the way the word against is defined, it is a close battle. So we have these beings, more powerful than we are, who appear to have been around since the beginning, set out to influence our decisions, thoughts, emotions, and reactions away from the Lord and his will for us, who currently have dominion over this world, which is walking around in moral and spiritual decay and depravity. We can't see them, but we can feel them and be influenced. Have you all ever read this and realized that's what all of these things are? Fortunately, Paul doesn't stop there. It is very important to know what we are fighting, and now he's going to tell us how we do it. So we go to verse 13. It starts with wherefore. So we have a connecting word of what we just learned and what is coming next. Wherefore, take on to you the whole, not part, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, have the ability to resist in the evil day. Now, in the interlinear, it says the day of evil, which doesn't sound like it's a big, big change there. And it's translated as the times of troubles and assaults with which demons try Christians, bringing toils, annoyances, perils. It's a time of full peril to Christian faith and steadfast. How many of us, you know, feel the toils? And I think those pressures are just coming more and more the closer we get to the Lord coming. And having done all, all things having been worked out, i.e. having gone through every struggle of this fight, to stand, ready and prepared. So I'm going to go to verse 14. I'm going to go ahead and read 14 through 18 again to talk about the armor. Stand, therefore, ready and prepared, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, 
wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints, for all saints. So the pieces of armor are actually spiritual helps that are supplied to us by God for overcoming the temptations of the devil. It's a part of God's strength that he imparted to us when we became his children. Now, the first five pieces that are listed are defensive. We have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. And although we are to move toward this fight, we do not shrink back. We are not the instigators of this fight. We are the ones defending ourselves, hostily opposing it. But we all know the best defense is a good offense. offense. That's right. So we actually have two pieces, two offensive pieces. We have the sword of the spirit, and though not officially listed as a weapon, we have prayer. So God's word and prayer are our weapons. So let's break these down. If you want to notice the wording that is used, there are three pieces of armor that we should always have on. It says having put on. So we should always have on the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes. We should always have those pieces of armor on. So first thing listed here is the belt of truth. What does a belt do? Hold your pants up. It secures things in place. A belt is worn around the middle of your body. It's central. Okay, so it's right in the middle. As Bill said, it holds your pants up. Now the Roman belt, the Roman soldier's belt, wasn't just a strap of leather like we, we see now. Um, it had leather straps or chains. It was called a sporin. Um, and it was positioned in front of the groin for protection. I believe that's self-explanatory. It secured the, the breastplate in place, and it held their weapons. So our belt of truth is going to secure the breastplate of righteousness, and it's going to hold the sword of the Spirit. But we are to gird. We are to equip, secure ourselves with it is listed first because without an understanding of the truth, we are easily lost and easily deceived. Truth of who we are in Christ, a loving truth about our sinful nature, a need for a Savior and truthfulness. For Proverbs, a lying tongue is one of the things the Lord despises. Truth here means in all its fullness and scope, as embodied by him, truthfulness, dependability, and reality. We have to know the truth of God so we can discern between the lines. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody goes to the Father except through Jesus. So it is important to know who we are in Christ, the truth of our salvation and our position. Jesus was confident who he was in the Father. And when he was tempted in the wilderness, that confidence is what made the devil flee. And I pray, I pray to have the confidence of Jesus. Thayer's says, the truth is a sincerity of mind and integrity of character or mode of life in harmony with divine truth. So we are supposed to live this out. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. So who are we? We are chosen. 
redeemed, forgiven, sealed, victorious, a new creation, more <coughs> conquerors, loved, holy and blameless. We are his children, adopted, co-heirs with him. We are justified, made righteous, set free from sin, given eternal salvation, reconciled, his workmanship, created in him for good works, just to name a few. So for Ephesians 4, 15, 14 through 15, that once forth uh, be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we need to know who we are in Christ, speak biblical truth in love. That's the belt. Now we move on to the second piece, which is the breastplate of righteousness. The purpose of the breastplate is to protect your vital organs, your vital internal organs. So it's typically placed, so it's a piece you're going to place over your head. It actually covers the front and the back. It doesn't, you're, you got your organs, you can get it from the back. It's no good if you only got a piece in the front of you. So it covers your front and your back, and it is secured in place, as I mentioned, with the belt. In Proverbs 4.23, we are to guard our heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Even Isaiah 59, 17 says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate. So this goes back even into the Old Testament, into the book of Isaiah. What's righteousness? Right, it's exactly right. Right standing with God. In Greek, the word is dakosune, and it means to be in proper or right relationship. So righteousness is relational. How much how often do we say we need to have a personal relationship with Christ? That's how we stand in right standing with God. We guard our hearts by preserving these right relationships first with God and then with others. And then I go to a site got questions a lot. It says without truth, our righteousness will be based on our own attempts to impress God. We remain in right standing by seeking God above all else, making his ways our ways and our dwelling place. So when God shows us an area in our lives where we need improvement, we need to change, we should obey him and allow him to work that out through us. But disobedience places cracks in this armor, and it opens up a weakness. Uh, Ephesians 4.24, we are to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, I mean, our righteousness, we know that our righteousness is given to us from God. It's Jesus that makes us righteous. And as we conform to the image of Christ in character, conversation, and conduct, and I got that from Charles Stanley. He's one of, I love some of his lessons. Um, our choices become more righteous. So as we, 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 go, we draw to him and we learn about him, we make him our dwelling place, our choices become more righteous, and they protect us from the temptation and the deception. Carelessness, unbelief, tolerating sin, abusing grace, disobedience, all of these things are going to affect them. So the third piece of armor we should always, always have on are the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now what do shoes do? They protect our feet. They protect what we're walking over. And the word shod here 
means to bind under, strap around. So you just ain't kicking on some flip-flops, you ain't throwing on some crocs. You are binding this to your feet. Goes back to sinking into it. You're securing that belt, that righteousness. You're, you're strapping those shoes onto your feet. Roman soldiers, and the reason I keep going back to Roman soldiers is that's what Paul's comparing it to. That's what was standing in front of all these people around them. They saw the Roman soldiers in all their armor all the time. So their sandals had hobnails in them. So they had nails that were driven through the bottom of the soles of the shoes and then broken off. So think sharp pleats. When you think of pleats, just think of sharp pleats. Uh, and they dug into the ground and they held the shoulders stand their ground. So, you know, you've got your kind of dug in some nails, you're vehemently opposing something, you know, it's not, you're not going to be able to move. And that's what the gospel of peace should do for us. It should ground us. The gospel is the good news. So the lexicon defines peace as a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever that is. So those who assured of salvation tranquilly wait for the return of Christ and the transformation of all things which will accompany that. I can't wait till there's no more tears and there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow. And so we are to dig in. We are to dig in with the good news of assured salvation culminating with Christ's return. Again, to reference the temptation of Jesus, he knew who he was in relation to the Father. And knowing who we are in relation to Christ helps us stand firm. Now we're going to move on to the pieces of the armor that we take up. Okay? And it says, in addition to all this, take up. We take up the shield of faith. Now the shield described, there's two different shields that Roman soldiers use. They use like a round circular one. And then they used one that was an oblong door-shaped one that covered them from head to toe. And that's the shield that's described here. It's a door-shaped shield. The word take, so we're going to take up the shield. The word take here is the word analambano, and it means to take up or to raise. And as I mentioned in my lesson in faith, a shield is primarily placed in front of you. So John 10, 7 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So I find it very fascinating that the word that is used to describe this shield is door shape, which is a word that Jesus uses to describe himself. Our faith, our loyalty, and our trust in God and his promises will extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Now, belos is the word used for darts here. The first definition is missiles. It says missiles, dart, javelin, arrow. Now those four darts seem the least harmful to me because I don't want them, I don't want any of them coming at me. But when you compare that to a missile or a javelin, yeah, it's some serious stuff coming at you. And they're fiery, they're full of fire, they're ignited. So what are these darts doing? We've mentioned the devil's gonna attack us, so he's trying to send these fiery darts to incense us, to make us indignant. Uh, the attacks launched at us are to inflame us with anger, grief, lust, depression, any emotion in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, that is why we are told to take every thought captive in 2 Corinthians. And that's a perfect segue into the next piece of armor that we are to take onto ourselves, which is the helmet of salvation. 
Now the word take here in Greek is a different word than the one that was used in shield. So even these little words, the Greek, there's a completely different definition for them. This one is dekamai, and it is to take by the hand, to take upon oneself, sustain, bear, endure. It signifies an acceptance by deliberate action and ready reception for what is offered. Okay, so we are, it's a deliberate action that we are taking this helmet. And what does a helmet do? Protects your head. Now the salvation here is the word soterias, and it means defender, or by implication, defense, salvation, deliverance. Thayer says it's equivalent to the hope of future salvation. And what have we mentioned? What are the devil's minions trying to attack? They're trying to attack our minds. You know, he wants to attack our thoughts. He wants us to think contrary to what the word says. He wants us to believe those lies. I'll go back to Rick Renner, and he keeps attacking me, attacking me, attacking me. His goal in that one direction is to go straight through us. And he doesn't just give up. That's why we have to be strong in who we are in the Lord. Uh, we cover and protect our heads with the hope that is Jesus. We are told to be transformed by renewing of the mind, which leads us to the finally officially listed piece of armor, um, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword described here is a short sword, so it's a dagger. It's not a big sword. You know, not a big long thing. It's a short one. It is uh, one of the last weapons pulled in battle because it is used for close combat. We have to know God's word, the truth of his word, so the Holy Spirit in times of battle can recall what you have learned and memorized. So how many times, I don't know how many times I've been told a lie and I will hear God will complete the good work done in me. You know, I, I, I say that all the time. You know, when I feel like I'm being being taken over by what's going on around, God reminds the Spirit reminds me of Peter. Peter took his eyes off Christ and he sank. Hey, don't take your eyes off Christ. Don't look at what's going on around you. It is really important that we, we write his word in our heart because the Spirit needs something to be able to draw from. Because when we're all crazy and we're going around, we're just not thinking straight. It's the Spirit that's going to pull that out for us. We are in a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity of these lives. Again, even Jesus used the word in his fight and when he was being tempted when he fought his battle. And then not officially named as a weapon or a piece of armor is prayer. Praying is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So it's persistently Seeking or asking. It's any request addressed by men to God in the Spirit. Now, for Thayer's, that means in the power of, possessed, and moved by, for all the saints. So we are supposed to be in the power of the Spirit when we are praying for all the saints. And the saints are those separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. And we are to pray at all times. Not surprisingly, prayer has been placed on many hearts, even right here in our own community. I know that we've been we've had the church open up on Sunday nights for um, several hours, that five to that's what six thirty for you know prayer time. Um, so it's really important that prayer is a big part of our lives. So in summary, 
We are to sink into, become one with the breastplate, the belt, the shoes, i.e. righteousness, truth, and the gospel. So let me do that again. So we should sink into the breastplate, the belt, and the shoes, which is our righteousness, truth, and the gospel, having made a conscious effort to have them on and ready for us to battle, taking up the shield, helmet, and sword, so our faith, salvation, and the word of God, having them at, at, a ready to defend, at our side ready to defend us at all time, because as we all know, no weapon formed against us shall come. So some questions I'm going to leave you with, thinkers to take home with you, who do you look to in the midst of the battle? And how are you protecting yourself when you win? That's what I came up with through all my little testing and all my little research that I did. So we've got the questions that we'll answer. We've got question one. We are to put on the whole armor of God. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle. The armor helps us withstand in the evil day. Now, the day of evil refers to times of troubles and assaults with which demons try Christians. So, now, what are the three pieces of armor we should always have on? Tells the truth. Tells the truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. And feet shod with the gospel of peace. That's right. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Now, what are the three pieces that we take up? That's right. Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. And then we have two offensive weapons. One officially listed, one not officially listed. What are our two offensive weapons? Sword of the spirit and prayer. Sword of the Spirit and Prayer.